0: Welcome to another edition of Off Topic. My name is Randy Zelia, and with courtesy of BacksportsPage.com, I'd like to welcome in for the first time as my co-host on this show, Mr. Emerito Rivera. He's down below here uh, from Level 1 Games. If you could check out Level 1 Games in Pompton Plains, New Jersey, Route 23, Level 1 with the number 1 in the middle there, Level1Games.com. Relive your past, take your game to the next level. Your, your all-purpose game store, and back to uh, back on my right, I guess. we got to are looking at this, uh, Keith Elliot Greenberg, former WWE magazine writer, back with us, and we have a lot to talk to him about. Uh, and I guess let's jump right into it. Uh, your your book, your book is out. The last time you're on, you oh, there it is. It is Oh awesome. <laughs> twinsies. <laughs> <laughs> twinsies, I love it. And uh, before we before we um, get too deep in it Keith I gotta ask what has been the general reaction so far to the book?
1: Uh, The general reaction is more positive than I expected it to be Um, I've written more than 30 books so I'm accustomed to some people who don't like anything going on Amazon and ripping whatever they've read Um, most of the reactions have been positive and I'm going to say this and this is the honest truth generally I tell my friends hey you know review my book and give it a couple of stars because I'm getting murdered over here. In this case, every review on Amazon and on British Amazon and on Goodreads, I haven't had to ask one friend to do it. And the response has been pretty positive. So I'll, if that's all I get, I'll take it as a victory.
0: (laughs) Em, you know, please feel free to jump in with anything you have any questions you have for Keith. Um, The moment
2: I got the book, I, I I don't have a lot of time to read because I live in New York and I travel to Jersey for for to to run the store. So I read in the car on my way there. And every single While you're day, driving, no, no, no. Cynthia drives, <laughs> I read. <laughs> So I sit there and I read and I get so into it. So I'll stop and I'll read her like, uh, oh, you, you got to check this out. Like, this this is so cool. Like, I didn't know this. And I'll read her like a passage. And she'll look at me because she's not really a big wrestling fan. She's like, you know, I don't care. Right? And I'm like, yeah, but this is so cool. Like, I'm getting into it. Like, I read it and it almost feels like I was there. You know, like the, the way you described a lot of the events. It, it, to me, like, my excitement was constantly rising as, as I, I read it. So I, I thoroughly enjoyed it.
1: Well, wow, thank you, M. That means a lot to
0: me. <laughs> uh, I have to ask because the independent wrestling scene is such a big, spread out market. How were you able to not only get the, a lot of the information that you got, but how is it, to make it as accurate as you possibly could in that situation?
1: Well, you know, I'll respond to the first part of your question. Um, the indie wrestling scene is so vast, and that's something I address very early on in the book. Because I knew that I wouldn't be able to get to everything. And just recently, since I've written the book, I'm actually working on a sequel now. And I'm being contacted by promotions and wrestlers who are working with organizations I hadn't heard of before. And that's exactly what I expected to happen. Like, I just did an interview with an organization called Body Slam Wrestling based in rural Denmark for my next book. And there was just no way I was gonna stumble across a group like that. So I explained very early on, um, I obviously am not going to get to everybody. I'm trying to create a snapshot of a very vibrant scene and a very unique time of professional wrestling. And that's kind of, that was the goal. And as much as possible, I tried to put it uh, through the experiences uh, of, of the people I interviewed um, and also to a degree on my own experiences as a wrestling fan. And something that I find very gratifying is that some people who know me a long time have said, wow, you know, a lot of guys who've been around as long as you have have become very cynical, and they romanticize another era in professional wrestling, and nothing can ever live up to that era.
0: And I'm guilty seem, of that.
1: Yeah, and, you know, they said, you seem generally excited about the indie wrestling that you experienced. And I did. I, You know, I do. I feel very excited about it. And I feel very excited by talent that I'm still watching.
2: Yeah. What's interesting to me is, like, me, I grew up watching WWE. And I I didn't get exposed to a lot of the stuff that I'm watching now until probably, I'd say, the earliest last year full-time. I'm watching more New Japan I think that's like my, my number one favorite at the moment. Uh, And AEW, I'm watching more uh, Ring of Honor and I'm seeing you write about uh, Shikara. Is that how you say it? Shikara? Yeah. 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 I see you writing about um, pro wrestling gorilla. These are the indies that I didn't know. Like uh, as growing up, Uh, I I knew the independent scene here in New York, but it wasn't that big Uh, back then. uh, It was just, You know, go to a local gym, go to a local boys club. It was nothing like the stuff that you described in the book. And it it, it was, like I said, my excitement was everywhere. I I was bouncing off the wall reading your book because I I actually felt like I was there. You you described it so vividly.
1: Well, thank you very much. And, you know, the, the thing is, like an organization like Chikara or PWG, you know, there are places everywhere that have a semblance of that. You know, I've spoken to people in the UK who talk about, you know, five years ago going to a revolution pro or a progress show or people in Germany talking about a WXW tournament. And, you know, they're sitting there going, I can't believe that anybody else in the world could be anywhere but here right now. This is so exciting. And um, obviously I wasn't at those shows but this is something that all of those indie promotions offer.
2: Yeah, it was it was entertaining as hell, like reading about it. And like I said, it, it, it actually made me feel like uh, you you touched on uh, Progress. You touched on on uh, Ref Pro. These are the things that I kind of heard in passing other fans talk about. But it, it was in-depth and informative. It was great. Uh, like I said, I can't. Say enough good things about your book and it's not just because you're here or or uh, we're talking about it like I, i've been i've been really talking about it to everybody I, i've seen i'm like oh you got to read this book man like you like wrestling oh i was just so excited i'm excited now and i'm done with the book so i'm actually looking forward to the second one
1: thank you um i hope hopefully some of those people uh took you up on your suggestion.
2: Uh, trust me, I, I've been showing because, I, like I said, I, I run a game store in uh, in New Jersey, so a lot of people talk to me about wrestling there, and because I'm always watching
0: wrestling there, <laughs> uh, I, like, I'm watching the G one. How,
1: how many of those people are wrestling fans who come into the store? You, you'd be surprised.
0: Be, you'd be really surprised. We, because we, sorry for cutting you off, and but like we would have. I'd go over there and we would have uh, one WrestleMania. How many people did we have? Like close to 50 people.
2: Yeah, we would sit there and we would watch these events. And uh, like people would just walk in. Like right now, I'm watching the G1. So every day, uh, I don't watch it live because I'm not. (laughs) So as soon as I get to to work. Yeah, I get to the store at 12. That's
1: fantastic. The G1, think about that. That, That's something American fans know so so little about. And it goes on for weeks. Yeah. It's like, it would be as if WrestleMania just went on for weeks and weeks and weeks with twists and surprises every single
2: night. Exactly. And the match quality is, is like right, you said. I, I, right.
1: pro, pro, arguably not like anything in the world.
2: Exactly. this is, it is Almost every match is main event quality. And I'm sitting there watching this at my store. And people walk in, like just random people, and they're like, what What are you watching? And I'm like, oh, my God, this is uh, the G1, New Japan. And I get them into it, and they're like, oh, my, how, how can I watch this? I, I think at this point, like, New Japan should start sending me a royalty check. like All, all, the, <laughs> stuff, all the stuff that yeah. I'm not promoting for them. And I'm constantly sitting there and uh, explaining to people, it's like, you can watch this stuff wwe is not the only one out there and like i said since last year like i didn't know i can watch new japan online uh i think i i went to the g1 last year here in madison square garden uh you wrote about that in the book as well and i was blown away i, I remember i was texting randy the whole time i'm like oh my god this is this is mind-blowing you got to see this stuff and to this day i'm like randy did you watch yet and uh Also, being there live, being
1: being in New York City in Madison Square Garden and seeing the New Japan Championship, the IWGP Championship change hands—that was something I thought I would never experience in my lifetime. I mean, my friend Walt Schwenk, who uh, co-hosts the what what is it, the Undisputed Truth uh, podcast, he and his brother and his and his co-host. Travel to Japan for Wrestle Kingdom uh, two years ago. Here it was all brought to us, and you know that was just something that I can't even put into words.
2: Exactly, and and like I said, as a, as a fan growing up watching WWE F at that time, this was mind blowing. This opened me up to something totally different. And the style, like I, I've seen tapes from Japan back back in the 90s of New, New Japan, uh, the, the, the J-Cup, but this was, I was watching it live and it was indescribable. I, I saw my son and it was, I, I consider it a magical moment and, and it, it broadened my horizons. And I said, you know what? I have to start watching some of this. Then AEW came along and I watched the pay-per-view. And again, I, my excitement was <laughs> through the roof. And I went home, I think, uh, after Fighter Fest, if I'm correct. And uh, I was still hankering for, for wrestling after watching. And I saw uh, um, an ad that said, oh, you can watch the G1 right now. And it was like 2 in the morning. I said,
0: okay, we're watching the G1 right now at 2 in the morning. <laughs> and I've been watching it ever since. And, and what, was amazing, what was amazing to me was the initial AEW pay-per-view, the Double or Nothing, was how many people we had in the store. Watching that, yeah. and, and because I mean, I, and
1: was that also about 50 people? How would it compare to WrestleMania?
2: I think, I think uh, we enjoyed it way more than WrestleMania. I am not
1: know, yeah. that in terms of volume of people in the
2: store,
0: I think we had about 20, about 20 there's about 20 people there. About 20, no, it was a, and a, you
1: know, I, I've, I've watched before uh, COVID 19, there's a bar in Midtown Manhattan that shows the AEW pay per views. Um, I'd say you get about 100 fans in there. And they're all fans like we are. They know who who all the characters are. Occasionally, someone will bring a friend or two who are not initiated. But everybody enjoys this. And, you know, I never imagined that you could go into a bar and watch a wrestling show and be having intelligent discussions dissecting what you're seeing. And the book that I wrote is for those kinds of fans. It's written for intelligent wrestling fans you know when i was growing up there was a stigma attached with professional wrestling and that's back in the 1960s it was almost like there had to be something wrong with you it was like you you think this stuff is real like it wasn't regarded as a real sport and wrestling fans were looked at as somehow mutated both in their uh, outward appearance and their worldview and you know now the perception has changed. And this book was is written for the fans you're talking about, the people who come into your store, the people who are a, bit, a little bit curious. And also it doesn't have to be extreme. You can still watch WWE and watch G1. You can still go to an indie show. I'm going out to Indiana this weekend and I'm going to see about a dozen promotions at the fairgrounds. That's That's the collective that's, uh, Game Changer Wrestling is putting on, but they're bringing in freelance wrestling out of Chicago, <clears throat> Black Label Wrestling out of Indiana, Absolute Intense Wrestling out of Cleveland, um, Shimmer Women's Wrestling. I mean, so this is going to be a gathering of the tribes.
2: I'm kind of jealous that you told me that. I can't <laughs> go.
1: <laughs> um, you know, yeah. What 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 time does your work shift end on
0: <laughs> Well, I, I have to ask though too. Because Keith, you know you wrote for WWE for for over twenty years. How frustrating is it, especially now, seeing the type of wrestling that is available, like G One, like AEW, like you know Impact Wrestling, which is trying its hardest to make a comeback from the situation they were in uh, from Ring of Honor. But you, you know, you had to work for WWE Magazine, and you were doing stories on like cartoon type of characters, like Eugene, like um.
1: Yes, but there was also Randy Macho Man Savage, and there, you know, there was also Bret Hitman Hart, and there was also Lance Storm, and there was also a young Chris Jericho, and there was Eddie Guerrero, and there okay. was Dean Malenko, and you know, I'll mention his name. Chris Benoit was there, and you know, I saw you know China turn into a character that w- invited great fascination. Um, you know, Lita and and Stratus. Had had their classic matches, so in the midst of what's called cartoon wrestling, there were there were also some great athletes
2: performing. Oh yeah, definitely, and that's what brought me into wrestling when I was a child. It wasn't the cartoons; it was guys like Shawn Michaels, guys like Bret Hart, mm-hmm. guys that can go in the ring. That it always fascinated me. I think that I think if you talk to a lot of guys that that come into the store. That's what they're drawn to. They're drawn to the... Yeah, the look, framework. we're
1: all... And somebody says that in the book. I mean, none of us would be here if we didn't drink as they the, the, the interview subject calls it Vince's Kool-Aid. Yeah. But, and, you know, that's how we all got hooked. And there are people getting hooked right now on what they're watching in WWE. Maybe they're 11 or 12 years old. Maybe it's a lapsed fan who's spending time at home and has suddenly gotten very smitten by the thunderdome it's like wow what's this you know i mean you know nxt takeover they just put on a really good show so it's not as if wwe is incapable of putting on you know a very riveting uh presentation it's just a different type of presentation
0: well and it's funny too you say that because like M said some of the great wrestlers like Shawn michaels bret hart you know rick flair but then there was also characters like Mick Foley being able to do the mankind dude love and Cactus Jack, right? And that
1: was in WWE where he had the freedom to do all of that.
0: Yeah, and then also you know you can't talk about the probably the best character in wrestling history of the Undertaker, right? Mark, Mark, know, Mark. and
1: and somebody would look at that and they go. Uh, initially, they would go, "What a dead man! What that's a that's gimmick wrestling. Yeah. I like yeah. real wrestling." And you yeah. know, look, look look at the longevity the Undertaker had.
0: Right. But you also look at that too. And I I don't think Emma and I have ever had this part of the conversation with the undertaker, but with undertaker for a long time, he got stuck with the giant Gonzalez's of the world, the King Kong Bundy's, these, I don't think it was until diesel and Bret Hart, we were, we were able to start seeing that, Hey, this guy can actually wrestle, not just being thrown every giant that the company has. And
1: And you know, that was, that was an old formula. And again, we can't like, you know, throw stones at Vince McMahon for this. You know, Andre the Giant, when he'd be in, if you read the Andre the Giant book that uh, Bertrand uh, uh, Her- Herbert and uh, Pat LaPrade wrote, you know, he'd go up to uh, Montreal and he'd wrestle with Don Leo Jonathan because he was a big tall guy. He had his feud with Big John Stud. He'd go down to Atlanta and he'd feud with the big cat Ernie Lad. you know, and um you know, that was the formula. You put giants with giants and, you know, that was a novelty match. And it, I, on, on the first night that, uh, that Undertaker was starting in WWE um, on TV, I remember I was on an airplane and I believe we were going from Detroit to Grand Rapids, Michigan. I could be wrong. Maybe it was Chicago to Grand Rapids and the Undertaker was on the plane and I knew him for as his WCW character is me, Mark Calloway.
0: Mm-hmm. And I
1: said, excuse me, you mean Mark? And he said, yeah, he goes, you know, they have this gimmick for me. The time is called Kane, the Undertaker. Yes. And he's like, you know, I hope it works. I, you know, I hope it's a good thing. You know, I hope I kind of can grow into it. And uh, then a couple of months later, I see he's, you know, I have some tattoos and I see he's getting some tattoos, and he's getting a Green Grim Reaper tattoo. And I'm like, "Hey, I guess you're getting into that gimmick, huh?" And then he turns into the Undertaker.
2: Yeah, who would have thought? Like, I remember seeing that as a child, and I was so into it. Like, "Oh my God, the Dead Man! Oh, this is so cool!" He came out with what was that a uh, big vulture at one point, right? Yeah,
1: yes, yes. But you know what's what's interesting? So the Undertaker, Shawn Michaels, and Bret Hart. All those characters uh, hit their stride after the Hulk Hogan era. Like the Hulk Hogan era was, say, 85 to, let's say, WrestleMania. Uh, was a WrestleMania 5 when or 6 when he lost to the Ultimate Warrior? Was that 5? That was, in that, that was six. 6.
0: That was 6, yeah.
1: So, so that was the technically the end of the Hulk Hogan era. And I can remember then being with a group of friends. And if they're watching Gandhi Guardi was there and Jeff Steinmark was there. And Marissa Scalisi was there and her cousin, Donnie Miller was there. My late friend Dave Becker was there. And um, I remember we were watching the first pay-per-view it was SummerSlam where it was the ultimate warrior was defending the championship against Rick Rude and something was missing. And Hulk Hogan was a, uh, you know, finishing out a rivalry with Earthquake. Uh, Yeah, with Earthquake. And um, this feeling like, ah, it's not the same anymore. It's changed. It's not the wrestling that it was a year ago. And I was completely unaware that there were all these other characters who were just, you know, establishing themselves. So now you meet people who are in their 30s, especially people who grew up in the United Kingdom when – WWE really made a push over there in the early 90s. And they talk about Sean and Bret and Undertaker. And to them, that is the same era as Hulk Hogan and Roddy Piper in Madison Square Garden. So somewhere there's a kid that's going to be talking about Kevin Owens and talking about Mustafa Ali and, you know, talking about Adam Cole and talking about Keith Lee. I mean, and talking about Johnny Gargano. I mean, you know, if your heart is open, wrestling goes into it, and yeah. you, th- it never leaves
2: you. It, it really doesn't leave you. Like <laughs> I've tried to give it up, and it finds me every time.
0: <laughs> well, one of the things I have to ask for your year's worth, also working for the WWE magazine, um, one of the competitors, I guess, the, uh, Pro Wrestling Illustrated, used to put out the PWI and, uh, 500. and They still do. Yeah, and they still do. And I just re- recently got the, re- the most recent one. And, and we wanted to ask your opinion on it. Because um, I, I don't know what f- formula they could sort of use to decide who's number one. You'd be Is better it, off
1: asking those guys. I was just on their podcast. They take it pretty seriously.
0: Yeah. I, I'll, like I have to, we looked, uh, Em and I were both talking about who, the previous number ones over the last few years. Like Seth Rollins was last year, Kenny Omega was the year before. Okay. And John Oxley was this, this, year. this year yeah um and we wanted to just get your opinion on a couple of them to see if you agree with the top well, 10. Well, let me just tell you a story
1: by sheer circumstance um I, w- I went to school high school with someone i didn't know her that well this girl named nina and one day i'm looking on her facebook page and looking at pictures of her family and i'm like is your son, MJF.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> so, um, she writes on Facebook, Oh my god, I can't believe it! What an honor! My son is going to wrestle John Moxley, the main event of a pay per view. John Moxley, who is PWI number one, the magazine that I would lovingly put on his bed every month when I arrived. That PWI 500 issue. He is wrestling the number one guy there. So, you know, it still means a lot. And it even means a lot on that level.
0: Well, that's first off. That's an awesome story. <laughs> we both love MJF too. So that's probably the, the best thing. Um, I just wanted to run by the top 10 with you and just to see if you sort of agree with it. Um, it's going backwards. They put AJ styles at number 10. Obviously AJ has been number one before, mm-hmm. um, your opinion on AJ Styles and his hey, look,
1: AJ AJ Styles is a guy, whether it was a WWE Hall of Fame or a New Japan Hall of Fame or a Wrestling Observer Hall of Fame, that's a guy who belongs there. And you know, he's 43 years old. He's the same age as Jeff Hardy. And he's he's pretty damn versatile. And I'd say, you know, he's risen to the occasion, even when he was in TNA during a time when it wasn't that when. You know, wasn't that well respected? You had, you know, AJ Styles and a bunch of others who, you know, could still pull your attention to it.
0: Yeah, and one of the things too with AJ is, well, being you said the age of forty three. At a certain point, they told the Macho Man when he was in his mid thirties that he was too old and he couldn't perform at it's that what level anymore. swear that when he was yeah. 40. Yeah, so it's, it, it's it's sort of amazing, and Em, I don't know how you feel about AJ Styles, but I uh, love
2: AJ Styles. Listen, even when he was in TNA, and I didn't watch a lot of TNA, every so often my son, who who like I said, I try to get away from wrestling, he pulled me back. Uh, he brings me the the DVD, one of the TNA DVDs, and I'm like, wow, man, this AJ Styles is amazing. I've always loved AJ Styles, yeah, so and, good,
0: and I and I think with AJ too. Right. I, I look on how good he is in WWE and I just can only imagine what he would be like in like AEW or New Japan right now or an impact just to be able to matches that he'd be still be able to have. I, I felt an impact. He was like the unsung hero. Um, and up until Hogan and Bischoff got there. No, impact can do no wrong as far as the action. Like a lot of interchangeable guys who were able to say the same type of matches. It almost felt like it didn't matter who was the world champion. You didn't want to miss out on those early, those early impact years because you were getting high quality, whether it was Christian, Kurt Angle, Samoa Joe, uh, you know AJ, you know you know, Doug, Dougie Williams. You had Alex Shelley. You had a great talent base. I mean, Christopher Daniels, uh, Frankie Kazarian. All those guys were all there, and they were putting on these matches. And then when Ho- the Hogan regime got in there, oh man, I don't, I just, I can't understand on how that happened. And it, it's, it's you don't want to blame Bischoff and Hogan, but at the same time, the proof is in the pudding. When they got there, that the whole thing sort of fell apart.
1: Well, yeah,
0: yeah. Uh, you know,
1: I, I, I'm not going to comment on that. I don't know what was going on behind the scenes there. But, yes, there was a lot of great talent that passed through there. Look, let's remember, and I point that out in the book, um, Okada and Shinsuke Nakamura were there,
2: mm-hmm. you know,
1: so, uh, you know, and, and the Young Bucks were there. So
0: there were a lot of squandered opportunities.
2: Yeah, they yeah. were called uh, Generation Me, right?
0: Right. Yeah. yeah. And also the early early days of Impact, CM Punk was there as well. So again, uh, another opportunity squandered. Uh, number nine on that list, another it's a WWE homegrown guy, Kofi Kingston. Uh, I guess if you're counting what he did during the 2019, you know, I guess he 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 had a great year last year. I'm not sure if he qualifies for this year, but number nine was Kofi Kingston. Nothing but love for Kofi and the success he that he's had. I'm not sure if he's that high on the list. I'm I'm very, and we'll tell you. I'm very, I'm very critical of this list.
1: Um, you know, again, I've I've spoken to some of the guys who've compiled that list. For all I know, it may have been their tribute to Kofi Kingston because he had that great push, and then that push seemed to be pulled out from under him. So, you know, I'm not sure. Uh, That's that's how I'm reading into it.
2: That yeah, that's how I see it as well. And I, I was telling Randy that earlier. I'm I'm guessing it was 2019 and everything that, that that he did and then it abruptly just disappeared and he was back in the tag team. So what
1: 2019? Now I was in the press box at WrestleMania, uh what was it, 35 in at the New Jersey Metlife Met Stadium, and um that and there were reporters there from all over the world. Not all of them wrestling people. And that was the one match that when Kofi pinned Daniel Bryan, the people in the press box jumped. Box jumped up and cheered.
2: Yeah, because he he's like an everyday guy. You know, it's, it's not prototypical big man wrestler. He's he's but he's a great athlete. Exactly.
1: If you're talking about gimmick stuff, the way he has traditionally managed to save himself uh, during the Royal every Rumble. Royal Rumble. Yeah. So, um, you know, should he be number nine? You know, not for me to say, but I'm happy to see him getting, uh, you know, th- th- th-
2: some prominence. Yeah, some recognition.
0: Yeah. Well, I it's funny because when he got his opportunity to uh, win the championship – uh, I had just heard a story on Bruce Pritchard's podcast oh, a while ago, something similar to him. What happened back in 92, when Vince was looking for a new champion after flair, you know, after the Savage lost the belt back to flair, he was looking for somebody for a title holder and there was a short list. And I think I told M the story that um, Bruce told on his podcast that the, uh, the names they had on the list was Rick Martel and Tito Santana and Bret Hart to possibly be guys to beat Ric Flair. And when I heard that list, I was like, wow. And I said, it sort of feels like Kofi because Kofi had worked all this time, worked all this time, worked all this time. You sort of took him for granted because you never looked at him more as an intercontinental or U.S. Right, champion. And look At the
1: time, Bret Hart was looked at largely as a Same way. wrestler. And yeah. I was in, it was in Saskatchewan when Bret won the title. And I was writing for WWF Magazine and realized there was no internet at the time. So, you know, people often found out their news or details from reading wrestling magazines. And um, Pat Patterson came over to me and he said, watch this match between, and it was between Ric Flair and Bret Hart. And, you you know, he didn't tell me why, but he told me to do it and so I thought, I said, "Wow, is the title going to change hands?" I thought to myself and it did, and it was in front of a crowd in a part of Canada where he'd wrestled with Stampede and it was pretty cool to to witness.
2: Yeah, no, and that's what I like, you know, and uh I think Kofi deserved to be there. Like I said, uh he's been there for how many years? At least about 11 years, right?
0: Yeah, something, something around that around that number. He's there.
2: been there for a while and never once did we expect that push. And then uh, Ali gets hurt. He, he gets inserted in, uh, does that, that gauntlet match, and has a hell of a, a, a year and has that that great rivalry with, with Daniel Bryan. So I think it's deserved. I mean, I think that's what they're going off of, and especially 2020 is a shortened year anyway. So yeah, it's like true. how much can you really glean from this year where, where – there's so, been so many stoppage, so much stoppage of wrestling. You, you, you haven't watched it, yeah. so who's I think who's that, number eight. Eight is let's see, eight is Seth Rollins. Yes, okay. I mean I'll obviously he deserves to be. Yeah, he deserves to be there. I'm not a huge Seth Rollins fan, but he has done everything uh, the company has wanted now, from. Is, him.
1: is it that you're not a huge Seth Rollins fan, or is that you don't like the way Seth Rollins? character
2: is been is being portrayed i would say the the, the character how he he's been portrayed some of the things he's done (laughs) on on, uh social media haven't really rubbed me the the right way as a fan but his ring work i i can't sit there and take that away from him The, the the man is amazing between those ropes i cannot take that away from him and will i watch a match with him definitely will watch
0: and 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 it's funny too. Uh, one of the things we say on our AEW podcast that we do, presentation is everything. If you present the character the right way, he's going to be over with you. If he, if you present him in a way where it's okay you're not going to be able to. It's not going to be able to really come out the right way. Seth, in my eyes, look, it's stale to me. Something needs to. Maybe he needs to go to SmackDown, or maybe maybe even a break. You know, he's going to be taking a break coming up with uh it was uh fiance hey, having a baby yeah. so no,
2: you know what what i didn't like was that he was a, a, a face while while online he came off as as heelish
0: mm-hmm.
2: so it's uh, i i think that's what rubbed me the wrong way it's like hey man stay stay in character you know i don't know
0: yeah if you can't if you're if you're if you're if face on if you're face on tv face uh be a face online you know that's I, I got you. I got you.
2: Yeah, but that was my issue. And then we have Cody at number seven. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, like like I was telling Randy, I, I can't argue with this list too much because all if you go by, by what they say, and that's win-loss record, uh, match quality, and all these things, I, I honestly can't sit there. And, and well, I, I be- also
1: think that Cody would be worthy just because of the significant role he's played. In um, the formation of AEW, the fact that we have an alternative now—if mm-hmm. Cody hadn't become disenchanted—and this is all in the book—you mm-hmm. um, know, if he hadn't become disenchanted with WWE, who knows if AEW would have uh, come together the way it did? And uh, you know, certainly that makes him a very significant uh, figure in the history of professional wrestling. And he's certainly a significant uh, player in what we've seen in professional wrestling over the past year.
0: No, and definitely. one, of, and one other thing with Cody too is after AEW was formed, you look at the matches he had with names that we had never really had heard of. His opening match on Dynamite with Sammy Guevara, his his uh, Fighter Fest match with Darby <laughs> Allen, all matches that put that talent that we the that a lot of the. National audience didn't know on the map, and they actually and, are now-
1: and and his match with Brody Lee, you know, for the for the T, where he lost the TNT Championship to Brody Lee, and you know, here's Brody Lee, who we knew as Luke Harper, a supporting player, and um, you know, in the in the Wyatt family, and you know, now certainly Brody Lee came out of that match not only looking at like an interesting character but looking like a guy who could really work in the ring.
2: Yeah, he, he put him over hard. I mean, I, I think Cody got off one punch and then just uh, took all the bumps after yeah. that. It was very good TV. Yeah,
0: but, but you know, and not to get too off topic here, Keith, but I, I wanted to get your take also with something that AEW has done, which I know Em and I have both gone back and forth with. It's certain wrestlers like the way uh, Lance Archer and Brian Cage have sort of come in. And we'll get back to the list in a second. I apologize for uh, going off topic with it, but uh, those those guys like that who have come in, got that initial big push, then sort of took a big loss, and then sort of got lost in the shuffle. Guys like Brian Cage, Lance Archer, just to name a few. Well, well are them. they
1: lost? Are they lost in the shuffle? Uh, you know, will we come back to them? You know, Lance Archer also, you know, was diagnosed with COVID nineteen. We have to, you know, look at every, this is my next book is about, you know, wrestling in the age of the coronavirus, you know, every, the, the outside world inserts itself into the make-believe world of wrestling constantly now, because, you know, you can only escape so much when there's a pandemic in the arena and outside the arena.
2: And that's one of the things that I, I constantly tell the guys is like, because w- we as fans, we're, we're going to see it one way. And we're always going to complain this guy is like that, but we're in a global pandemic. We've never seen anything like
1: we've never seen. And think about Lance Archer won the Battle Royal. He won a title shot at John Moxley's AEW Championship, and because he had to quarantine, we got Eddie Kingston, and that was pretty cool.
2: It was fun, yeah. It was great TV. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I think from from the perspective I'm showing was they built Lance Archer to come in and they put him right in the finals with Cody of that TNT championship. And they built him up as a monster. They built him up as a guy who doesn't look like he can lose. He lost. And then the only time we really saw him back on, T- on regular TV, not AEW Dark, but we saw him again losing to – I'm sorry. He beat Joey Janela on pay-per-view. And then that was – or during Fighter Fest. I apologize. During one of the nights of Fighter Fest – and then we really didn't see much of him. We heard sort of come out and do promos with them, putting people through ceilings, but we didn't really see him in a real match. Right. Up in, and, you know,
1: and look, you know, I don't think he had his time and now he's buried. I, I, you know, like look at a guy like Joey Janela. We mentioned Joey Janela and, you know, Joey Janela is all the way through through the book. I don't care that I'm on <laughs> I, I to promote, but, um, you know, Joey Janela, he, uh, you know, at times it's felt like he was a little bit lost in in, in AEW. I mean, that's a guy who yeah, he goes um when you see him on indie shows still, you go to these GCW shows, and he's a superstar. He's Hulk Hogan in nineteen eighty-five on those shows. And uh, you know, now he has that partnership with Sonny Kiss and uh him and Jericho just had a really cool you know, they, they just had that tag team match, and they had a really cool exchange. And, um, you know, it's just because someone might take a back role for a while doesn't mean they're buried and the company has moved past them.
0: Agreed. No, that, that, that's that's fair. Now, let's go back to the list. Uh, number six uh, and number five from New Japan, which made, by the way, I'm very happy, uh, was number six was Okada.
2: Again, well
1: deserved, right? And we saw him win the title in Madison Square Garden. Yeah, Exactly, and he's great. And, and, he's great. and I believe what wasn't it a record? It was a record for him. I I can't remember the number of times he won that championship. I think it
2: was either five, five or six. Yeah, somewhere. yeah.
1: You and know, and that, that IWGP, you know, World Heavyweight Championship is a major championship.
2: Yeah, and so I it's think not that- like. Yeah, go ahead. I, I think that was the first time it was uh, it actually changed hands outside of Japan. Outside of
1: Japan, and right? what, what, so that, that's quite
2: historic. What a better place to do it than a, uh, Madison Square Garden? Mm.
0: Yes. Uh, then number five was Naito. Naito, yes. Naito, right, who's the current champion again? Yep. Double champ. Yeah. yeah. And, and this uh, is. I'm uh, oh, sorry. Yeah, go, ahead. go ahead. No, I was about no, saying, this. It was, it was five, time, five that times. Five right. times. Uh, okay. Yeah.
1: And, Go ahead. I'm sorry. And,
0: and this is the one where it got me angry. Number four was Drew McIntyre. And again, I understand beat Brock Lesnar this year, won the Royal Rumble. I get it. But there's still a lot of people who look at McIntyre as the, the chosen one and the one who, you know, could be.
1: And, 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 and every era has this. Now, we are not living in real times. So we don't know how the fans would have reacted when McIntyre won the championship from, from Brock Lesnar. Um, Would the fans have blown the roof off? Well, it was no roof because it would have been an outdoor show, but you know, would the fans have gone crazy and you know, would McIntyre be treated like the chosen one or would he fall into the same rut that John Cena and Roman Reigns did when the company anointed them and the fans decided, great, now we have a new baby face to hate. We can't really know that because, you know, there are, there's not a live crowd. Um, so it, it's all speculation. It's a guy who's paid his dues. Yes, there are people who still look at him as a member of three-man band. Um, you know, and maybe, again, I am not in the minds of these guys from PWI. Maybe their attitude is... This is the guy who WWE anointed. Hence, he's a top guy.
2: That's the way I saw it. To be number four, you win the Royal Rumble. You win at WrestleMania. You have the title. Currently, that's what I, I was thinking. It's like, okay, you put him at number four for a reason, and that has to be the reason.
0: Yeah. And it's, the, next, the next one is probably somebody I know that Keith probably has met and talked with millions of times, and he's one of our favorites. Uh, I've interviewed him before as well. Uh, Chris Jericho. Oh, and, and 30 years in the business. and 30 I, years in the
1: business, constant reinvention. I mean, you know, at Double or Nothing in Las Vegas, I, I describe his entrance. And first he comes out as Lionheart. Oh, oh, someone comes out dressed as Lionheart, Chris Jericho. And then we see, you know, Chris Jericho with the lit up jacket from a couple of years ago. And then we see WWE Chris Jericho with the list of Jericho, you know, from the Kevin Owens era. And then he comes out as his. This is before he was Le Champion. He comes out as the Painmaker with the fedora on his head, and you know that, that. And he's he has had other phases in his vast career. So this is a man who constantly reinvents himself. And again when AEW started and they went on TNT, they needed somebody who the fans had recognized, who the, the fans instantly recognized, but was still vibrant. And I, as I explain in the epilogue of the book, Jericho, who obviously has a lot of say about the character he portrays, did not surround himself with WWE has And maybe this is a difference between what would have happened in TNA during, say, the, the, the era you referred to before. Yeah, He has a very youthful Sammy Guevara there and proud and powerful. Santana and Ortiz were there. And yes, Jake Hager, who was Jack Swagger in WWE, but Jake Hager, with his MMA background acknowledged, seems like a real enforcer. And uh, so this is they get the rub from Jericho and Jericho gets the rub from them.
2: Yeah. And I read that. I actually finished a book to today this morning. And I, and I, that was still fresh in my memory that, that you said all of that. And it was so cool. Cause like I said, I saw double or nothing, but he, like reading the book and you describing it, it brought me back to that moment when, when he came out and he was, he was the was pain maker after seeing his, his previous gimmicks. And I was so thrilled. And like I said, it kind of made me want to go watch it again. You know, if I had the time, I would probably put it on later on. You know, it's
1: funny you say that. Even when I've read the book, it's made me want to watch Double or Nothing and G1. It's particularly some of the um, preliminary G1 matches. You know, I'd like to study those a little bit more now that I'm not
0: there. Yeah. go ahead i'm so sorry i'm sorry and, and m m and i m is trying to get me more involved with new japan my 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 biggest issue is time and one of the things that i i've was able to watch We could show me the match with jeff cobb and uh, jeff cobb and nabushi right yeah jeff Bob, jeff cobb and nabushi and what, yeah. was one of, what i found very interesting is i only was exposed to jeff cobb when he made the one appearance on AEW, and being able to see a a big man like that moved the way he was moving. And like usually when you have a big man versus a little man, the story's already there. You, you just you just write out the story. But watching Cobb be able to move like that was was like, wow. And then he also showed me uh, Jay White and will Osprey, who I think I've seen Osprey before. he's absolutely amazing. I think I think he might be the best talent, not on American pound television. For pound talent. yeah I, I
1: think that that's that's a good yeah. argument.
0: Yeah, I it's big, yeah, yeah, huge, and I think again, one of the best athletes not seen on American television. Yeah, I think uh, you the crowd misses out on some of this great action because we we're having to watch other nonsense on television, but you, you start wondering why it can't be out there more. And with well, especially, yeah, with- I mean,
1: I, I spoke to Jeff Cobb a couple of weeks ago for the book I'm researching now. You know, every promotion has attempted to sign uh, Jeff Cobb. I don't think he was jiving me when he was telling me that, Um, you know, I believe he'll probably end up with new Japan. Uh, That's the place that seemed to mean the most to him. Uh, Does that mean he can make forays into ring of honor and um, AEW? Hopefully it does. Um, But you know, I, I found myself wondering, well, what would Jeff Cobb be? in WWE and you know you look you look at a guy like Keith Lee you know this the script has yet to be written you know will Keith Lee be one of those iconic characters in WWE or have uh, are Keith Lee's best times in, in, in the company times he had in NXT we don't really know
2: yeah, and, and I, I think it would be a shame if, if they spoil that. I mean, Keith yeah, Lee is
1: so good. Keith.
2: He really is. I, I really hope that they don't drop the ball on and that.
1: He's a big guy, and I would hope that you know that combined with his talents and his charisma, exactly, uh, that he would just get the monster push eventually.
2: Yeah, and and that's one of the things. And he has the charisma, and he has yeah. the ability, and. and yeah. I just hope that they, they, they write something spectacular for him because that that's a dude that deserves it. Yeah.
0: The, uh, the last two on the list were number two is Adam Cole, Mm -hmm. uh, which he is a spectacular talent. Uh, One, one talent that he seems, he seems to be more comfortable in the NXT role and he's made it in many interviews that he did not want to be called up to the main roster. would like to stay down in NXT. Um, your, your take on what NXT I mean, that's the is- guy, yeah. he-
1: pers- All the good things about NXT, you know, uh, is embodied in Adam Cole. And, you know, we talk about guys like Keith Lee and Nakamura, and for that matter, Drew McIntyre. <laughs> guys who just, you know, Bobby Roode. As he just put on these great matches in, um, you know, NXT. And Adam Cole is the consummate NXT wrestler- and um this is certainly a golden era in nxt even though some people may say well it's not the same since they've gone on tv on usa on on wednesday nights and they're competing uh when you know wrestling historians look back at this period um you know what we're watching now on nxt will be part of the, the golden era of a few years ago and adam cole will be Pretty close to
2: the top of that list. Exactly. So I, I thought definitely he deserved the uh, the number two spot. I mean he was he was champion for what a, a good year, right? Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, yeah.
2: Uh, he's done it all down in NXT. Yeah. So I, I, he he deserved it in my opinion.
1: And, and number, number one, of course, is Moxley. <laughs> exactly. And Which, uh, yeah, go ahead,
0: yeah. Randy. Oh no, I'll I'll tell you what Moxley really won me over. And it wasn't even anything he did in the ring. Is when he appeared on Jericho's podcast. And he explained, like, if you ever wanted to wonder about the, 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 you know, obviously it's his opinion and his view of what he went through. But just hearing him talk about all the misery that he went through behind the scenes from uh, WWE, it was such a telling story. And when more people are talking about a situation behind the scenes somewhere and it, all the stories are starting to sound the same, you start believing that's really the truth. And well, you
1: know, you have guys like Eric Young, obviously, and you have Miro now, um, and they tell some. They all tell similar stories, and I, it may have been Eric Young who said it. Said, you know, when you're getting the push, there's no better place to be, and when you're not, when you're you know sidelined, there there's no worse place to be. Um, you know, now then you have guys like Kofi Kingston, and I'm not sure that they would subscribe to that philosophy. Maybe a guy like Nakamura wouldn't. Maybe Nakamura is like, okay, I'm down in Florida, I'm raising my kids in a nice place, and uh, you know, I'm getting paid well. And Kofi Kingston may say, I've made great friends, I've had good matches, I have respect from everybody. You know, it, it's all a different take, but certainly Moxley was not very happy there. And I will say this: I don't know if you read Jr.'s book under the black hat this year. Um, but it's a great book and a very honest book. And he talks about how unhappy he was in WWE and how he felt uh, minimized and how he sometimes felt personally degraded and um, restricted and to uh, see him in AEW and just hear how loose he can be and how much fun he's having and how his humor and his personality are able to come out and in fact, his, his encyclopedia-like knowledge can come out, and no one's making fun of him for that. It, it actually is quite hardening to, to witness.
2: Yeah, I, I heard his pod, uh, the podcast with Jericho that he did uh, a couple of months ago. Very good. And uh, he spoke a little bit about that while promoting his book. So it, it, I have to pick that one up eventually. But getting back to books, I'm actually very excited about your next book. Uh, because, uh, well, again, that's... the world is upside down. and yeah, I
1: mean, we're, we're talking about it here. You can't stop talking about yeah, it.
2: Yeah, and You're I can't wait to see what you find out out there, how wrestler, wrestling companies are coping. Uh, I know that uh, the Good Brothers, they, uh, they, they were doing a social distance uh, um, uh, for Lariato Pro down in Georgia. Uh, yeah, there's had... a lot of
1: that. Yeah, you know, so I, I, I interviewed a guy who calls himself Dirty Ron McDonald in uh, San Diego, who, who was, and he's supposed to be, you know, uh, you know, the deviant son of the other Ron McDonald, the clown. And, um, you know, he was doing drive-in shows, uh, you know, when people were really uh, distancing a lot more. And it was all top secret and you would, he would, Send information to people via burner phones and they would order a parking spot and they would be sent to some parking lot and there were no permits, but there was supposed to be social distancing and people were supposed to stay in their cars. And, uh, you know, there's something very exciting and grassroots about that, yeah. um, even during COVID. And again, to give all praise to WWE, you know, we've seen. Uh, the cinematic match established as a genre thanks to the Boneyard match and the Firefly Funhouse match at WrestleMania. And that's WWE pulling something out of air in a time when people are saying, you're putting on WrestleMania in empty arenas? And, uh, you know, since then, AEW has uh, put on a number of cinematic matches. And, uh, you know, we also have the Thunderdome, which is very exciting. And then we also have all those wrestlers who were furloughed and laid off. And all of them, so many of them turning up in impact and Mm. the effect that has on impact. And we have the speaking out movement. So even during this pandemic, all of this stuff is happening in professional wrestling. And although it's not the greatest era or the greatest year to be a wrestling fan, it could end up being one of the most interesting
2: times
0: to be. Yeah, honest. definitely, definitely,
2: and that's De- why I'm looking forward to your next book because I know <laughs> you're jotting all of this down meticulously, yes. and I'm gonna relive it through your next book.
0: Thank you, thank you, and and I, I wouldn't be amiss if I didn't bring this up because I know it just gets M fired up, and he was a subject during your book, but the name Orange Cassidy has to come up at least once. Uh, I,
1: and- I, I just had this talk. I was, on, you know, on Bill Ather's web show tonight. And I've said this before, you know, there, it may have, I may have even said this in the interview with you, Randy, um, that uh, he's the one guy who didn't break character when I was, uh, you know, interviewing people for this book. (laughs) Uh, You know, I was following him around the country and we emailed each other and um, he just wouldn't break character on the record. And finally I was finishing up the book and I said, you know what? I'm just going to say that you, you know, you, you wouldn't break a And he said, okay, man. And uh, you know, then he did an interview with ESPN where he let his guard down slightly, but not too much. I would have enjoyed getting a little bit of that, but I still respect somebody who keeps it real. And Orange Cassidy keeps it real.
2: Yeah. You mentioned that a couple of times in the book that he just, he would not go on record for an interview. You, you chase right. him around.
1: Yeah, chase him around. You know he'd, you know he'd answer in yes and no's. Now off the record, it's not like the guy acts like that twenty-four hours. Yeah. <laughs>
2: it's
1: not like the story that Lanny Poffo likes to say that once his brother Randy Macho Man Savage heard Pampero Furpo say in that gravelly voice, "Oh yeah." Lanny Poffo said, I never heard my brother speak in his real voice again. It's not (laughs) like that. Orange Cassidy is not orange Cassidy at home. I am convinced, but he's orange Cassidy in public and, uh, we're all richer for it as wrestling
2: fans that we are.
0: (laughs) Well, uh, Keith, I want to thank you for, you know, giving us some time tonight. Uh, the book is called too sweet. The indie wrestling revolution, uh, I feel you can like order it on
1: Amazon. you can um, <laughs> order it from ECW press. you can get it from the bookstore. and you know what? Uh, Greg Oliver, the great Canadian wrestling writer, said, you know if you want to keep uh, little independent bookstores in business, go down to your local bookstore and order it from there because then you know you you're even if they're only doing business through the front door by you ordering books. You know, if if you want to do that for a mom and pop bookshop, go ahead and do it. It's a good deed.
2: Yeah, support the the mom and pop bookstores and, yeah. and video game stores. I mean, yeah. just for and who knows,
1: maybe I'll come down to your video
2: game. Store oh, I would love that. Books. Yeah, listen, <laughs> you let me know the day, I'll be there. I'll make. Seriously, topics. if I'm you
1: want to do it, Um I was just at the Wrestling Universe, which is the wrestling merchandise store in Queens, and a mile from where I grew up this weekend and we sold out the books in 34 minutes. So I was, uh, you know, I, I, I'm, I, I mean, I'll be selling books at at this weekend at at the various matches at the GCW collective in Indianapolis, but you know, let's talk off camera and I'm happy to come make, make a, a, a trip over to Jersey and sign some books if there's the demand.
2: Yeah, definitely. Oh, that would be amazing. People, yeah. yeah, there's people that would love to to talk about the book with you. Like I said, there's people that they constantly ask me, hey, what are you reading? Uh, is it good? And I'm like, oh, my God, it's great. Like, okay. It,
1: and if people want me to do some assigning there and sell a couple of books and chat with them about the book and we keep the proper social distance and everyone stays safe and healthy, I'm happy to come.
0: All right. Maybe you we know. could set that up. All right, well, Keith, real quick, would you let everybody know on social media where they can find you? Yes. Um,
1: once again, I'll show the, the book. <laughs> Keith, you can see my name, Keith Elliott Greenberg. You can find me on Facebook and on Instagram as Keith Elliott Greenberg and on Twitter as Keith E. Greenberg. And you can find me there. And uh, I, I answer a lot of uh, private messages. And if anybody has a good story for me about uh, what's going on in their experience in on the wrestling scene during this uh, very unusual year, you know, reach out to me too. And who knows, maybe you'll end up in my next
0: book. That's awesome. Keith, thank you so much for the time. I really appreciate it tonight and uh, we'll definitely be catching up with you soon. Okay, man. Thank and you. Thank I you.
1: really appreciate you bringing me on. And Thanks thank you for, for
2: for writing such a great book. Uh, thank
0: I, you. I really
1: I, I, and thank you for putting me over.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Hold on one second, Keith. Yeah, check out Off Topic later on uh, this week. On Friday, I'll be back with Jeff Coffin of the Dave Matthews Band. He and I will be uh, talking about being on tour, the life of a musician on the road. Check it out. Until then, this is Randy Zai with Off Topic.